I tell you, I'm really glad to be here, and I've got to be honest with you. I wasn't sure I was going to make it yesterday. So what happened, it's all about chicken salad. I've got to be honest. I love chicken salad. And my wife, she brought home this chicken salad, and she really talked it up. It was so awesome, you know. It had, like, walnuts, toasted walnuts, and celery, and I think it was mayonnaise-based, and kind of had shredded chicken in there, and, oh, and it had cranberries and some other stuff I can't remember, and it also had curry. And she said, oh, that's supposed to be, you know, the secret ingredient. It's what makes it and everything. So we were going to try this chicken salad. I get into the chicken salad, bite number one. I'm crunching through everything, right? You know, I mean, the crunchy celery, the, the walnuts. I'm thinking, yeah, this is, this is actually really good. It tastes great. And they're kind of heartier than I'm, I'm used to. And, uh, and then bite number two, I was like, is that a cranberry? You know, I loved it. And, and then I get into it and I thought, uh, oh, wait, I think I taste the curry. She's right. It really does make it. It's great. Bite number three, I get a bone. And the bone... Uh, despite all my best efforts, I swallow, and then it cuts into my throat, and there's blood, and then I cough for about two hours after that, so I wasn't exactly sure if I was going to make it, <laughs> but I'm here, and I'm really glad to be here, and I tell you what, we had Kyle over at Central, and it was so awesome to have him with us as a part of our uh, summer series, and so I'm glad to be able to come here and return the favor. Now, our text is John chapter 13, and actually it's verses 13 and 14, John 13, 13 and 14, but I want us to get the context. I want us to get the full sense of it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read verses 1 through 16 of John chapter 13. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Would you read with me tonight? Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that had been wrapped around his waist. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said unto him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, Peter, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, then Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he's completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12. 
When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done unto you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Would you bow with me? Father God, as we lift this time up to you, I just pray that you bless us with both an understanding and an application of this text. Help us to understand why, Father God, your son did this. What he meant for the disciples to understand, what lesson he meant for them to take away, what we're meant to take away from this. We ask that you be with us. We ask that you walk with us through this lesson. And it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. What would you say is what you believe is the most amazing thing Jesus ever did. I mean, the thing that just blows you away. There are a lot of candidates, right? <laughs> I mean, we think about all the miracles, and Jesus did so many miracles. And we think about the feeding of the 5,000. He took five loaves and two fishes and, and fed 5,000. That was just the men. We don't even know how many were in that group, right? If you feel like you're kind of working from paycheck to paycheck and inflation right now, how would it be to be able to do that trick and make things really stretch? Wouldn't that be awesome? And what about when he stilled the storm with just a word? What about when he walked on water? Those are some pretty good candidates for greatest thing ever Jesus did, right? But I would like to make a case tonight that I think the, the most amazing thing that Jesus ever did, the, the thing that is so surprising to me is what we read right here at the beginning of John chapter 13. When he got up from the supper and he took off his coat and he took off his cloak wrapped a towel around his waist, and he took a basin, and he put water in it. And then he knelt down in front of his disciples, and one by one began to wash his disciples' feet. I can't think of anything more dramatic than that. I can't think of anything more amazing than that. And, you know, it's not within the scope of our lesson to spend all our time on that part of the passage. But I'm telling you, our text is John chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. And I don't know that you can understand those verses without an understanding of this event, of Jesus and why he washed his disciples' feet. You know, back in Augusta, next door to us, there is a little church, uh, not a church of Christ, but they practice foot washing uh, in their worship. They practice foot washing. And if you were to go to them and you were to ask them, why do you do that? They would point to this text. They would point to this passage and they'll say, well, you know, it's because Jesus said you ought to wash one another's feet for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. But do you think that was the point of this? 
Do you think that's why Jesus did that on this occasion? That, that he was trying to make the ritual of foot washing a practice that is to be observed in the work and worship of the church? I don't think so. What I think he was trying to do was to help his disciples at a very important moment to help them understand something about himself, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, what it truly means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And he wanted to do this because he wanted them to understand who he was. He wasn't quite sure they did. He says to them, you call me teacher and Lord. The word teacher there is the Greek word didaskalos, one who teaches, one who instructs his students. That's the Greek term. Now the Hebrew term is rabbi, and, and often Jesus' disciples and, and those who heard him would address him that way and would call him rabbi. In John chapter 3 and verse 2, both terms are actually used. In John chapter 3 and verse 2, a man comes up to Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, a didaskalos, come from God. Because the signs that you do, no one could do them unless God were with him. He was their Lord, their master, which meant they were his servants. And he was their teacher, which meant that they were his students, his disciples, and the same thing is true today. He is our Lord, which makes us his servants. He is our teacher, and that makes us his students, his disciples. But you know, I want you to understand the relationship between a teacher and his disciples. You know, if you were to go in that day and time and choose to be a disciple of one of the great teachers, one of the rabbis of the day, and there were a great many, what you would sort of do is that you would attach yourself to that person. In other words, it's not like if you became their student that you would just go to class every day and you would sit at their feet and then just kind of take in all the lessons. You were supposed to attach yourself to that person and you would follow them. And if they went traveling somewhere, you traveled with them, right? Because the idea is that you're not just here to learn from them, but you're supposed to model your life after that person. You know, Paul was known to have been a disciple of the most noted rabbi of that day and time. His name was Gamaliel. And that was kind of a big deal, and that was kind of one of Paul's bona fides, you know. When anyone ever questioned his Jewishness, Paul would say, well, do you know that I was a disciple of Gamaliel? I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and there was an opportunity like that in Acts 22 and verse 3 when they were questioning him. And, and so Acts 22 and 3 says, I am a Jew born, yes, in Tarsus of Cilicia, but I was brought up right here in Jerusalem. I was brought up in Judaism, and, and I studied in this city. I studied under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I'm just as zealous for God as any of you are today. In other words, if anybody ever questions his Jewish credentials, he just said, I'm a disciple of Gamaliel. And they knew Gamaliel. 
They knew how he taught, they knew his customs, they knew how he lived, and so they also knew that they should expect for Paul to be like that because Paul was his disciple. So in the same way, Jesus says to us, I want you to be my disciple. And can you hear that in some of the passages in the New Testament? This idea of us sort of attaching ourselves to him, modeling our lives after him. In John 12, verse 26, he says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. Luke 9, verse 23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, and then follow me. Luke 14, verse 27, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. And I really love 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6, especially verse 6 there at the end. John writes this, he says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Here's verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. That's a disciple. That's a disciple. You attach yourself to your teacher. You follow that person wherever they go for as long as they will allow you to follow. And then you model your life after their example. That is precisely what Jesus asks of us if we are to be his disciple. Now let's go back to our passage. What was the lesson? What was the point of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples? What did he want them to learn about discipleship? Well, we know that he was not installing a new ritual in the church, the practice of foot washing, right? So what was it? The key is in verses 13 and 14. The key is right there. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, then you ought to wash one another's feet. I think the lesson that he was trying to get over is he was trying to help them understand how important servanthood and humility were to his teaching and his personal example. And, you know, he could have done anything to kind of illustrate that, but he chose washing his disciples' feet. That was just the object lesson. That, that was the vehicle, right, that was containing the, the moral or the principle there. I mean, it was illustrating this. It was demonstrating the importance of service and humility. And I'll tell you right now, the great rabbis of the day did not wash their disciples' feet. That was not something that they would do. I mean, you just didn't do that. It would have been considered undignified. It would have been something that was beneath you. If you were a great rabbi like Gamaliel, held in high esteem, you didn't wrap a towel around your waist and wash your own disciples' feet. But when Jesus, that evening, took off his outer garments, 
and wrapped that towel around his waist and took that bowl and bent down and began to wash with his hands his disciples' feet and then dry them with the towel that was around his waist, what he was saying to them is, I want you to understand, yes, I am your rabbi, but I'm not like those other guys. I'm not like them. I did not come down here to be held in high esteem and to be elevated above other men in some sort of prideful way. I came to serve. That's who I am. Matthew 20 and 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was first and foremost a servant, and we see it in that moment. But you know what he also was? He was God. And that's the part of this that just blows me away. That's the part of this I can't get away from. The fact that it's God doing that. The fact that it is our high and holy and sovereign and creator, the king of all kings, the ruler of all rulers, bowing down, taking his own hands and washing the dirt off of their feet and drying them with the towel around their waist. God did that. That's what blows me away. Do you know that there was no more humble task than the washing of feet? It was considered the lowest. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, even more than taking out the garbage and cleaning the toilets. It was considered the lowest task. And it was usually reserved for the lowest servant in a household. And Jesus says, yes, I'm your rabbi, but I'm also your Lord. I'm your God. And he chose the lowest possible task, the most undignified thing to do, to show them how much he cared. That was the point. That was the message he was trying to get across. One day, his disciples would be in positions of authority. One day, they were going to be leading the church, and he didn't want them to be out there like those rabbis walking around with their, you know, disciples following them like ducklings, and they're lifted up with pride. He says, I want you to be like me, but you don't understand who I am. I am a servant, so I'm going to show you how much of a servant I am. That's what he did. That's the point. He wanted them to be servants. And you know, I think he tried to drive that lesson home from the very beginning of his ministry and throughout his ministry. In Mark 9, verse 35, we read, And he sat down, and he called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And also in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28, We read the following. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. First and foremost, he wanted his disciples to be servants because he was their teacher. And they were his disciples, you see. 
Now, by the way, there is something interesting that happens here. And I don't think I caught it the first few times when I was going through this text. Did you notice this? So the first time around, he says, you call me teacher and Lord. And then did you pick up on the second time, verse 14, he reverses the order? He says, if I then your Lord and teacher have done this, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. I think he's just emphasizing there's no one greater than me. Lord is from the Greek word kyrios, and it means master. It means the one who has supreme authority. And he says, there is no one higher than me, and I, your Lord, have washed your feet. But take a step back tonight and see if you can see what I see. What a God. What an amazing God we serve who loves us so much and cares about us so much and wants to help us so much that he's not above rolling up his sleeves and getting down in the muck and mud and the mess of our lives and cleaning up that mess and helping us get up and out of that place because he loves us that much. What a God. You know, I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know your situation. I don't know what you're dealing with. But it may be that you're here tonight and you're in a mess. Maybe your marriage is in a mess. Maybe there's some relationships in your life that are a mess. Maybe your relationship with your mother or father or a child or another family member or someone who was once dear to you. Maybe your job's kind of hanging in the balance because you created a mess of work and you've kind of gotten in trouble for that. Or maybe you would say, Scott, it's just me. My life is a mess. And you're crying out for guidance and direction. You know, if any of that is true, I've got great news for you tonight. We serve a God who's not high above and so high that he won't come down to where we are and roll up his sleeves and get into the mess of our lives and help us clean it up. But he'll help us. And he'll help us get out of that place. And what can we say to that? But praise God, right? I think about how the psalmist described this. David wrote in Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a desolate pit, out of the muddy clay. And then he set my feet on a rock and made my footsteps firm. That's what he does. That's what our God does. He cleans us up. He lifts us us up and he sets our feet on a firm place praise god he's not above washing feet but hey before we leave this lesson why don't we make application if this point was that important this lesson was that important to his disciples Let's see what we need to take away from this. Let's see what application we can make for our lives today. And you may come up with some other things. Here are the three that kind of jumped out to me. The first point that really spoke to me was this. No one who is a disciple is really above 
the doing of any task, no matter how lowly, right? (laughs) Not the minister, not the elders, not the deacons, not any member of the body of Christ. I mean, Jesus said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have done this for you, then you ought to wash one another's feet. You know, have you ever thought that if sometimes we say to ourselves, well, you know, I'm not going to do that. Oh, I'm not going to, you know, that's not a job for me. Have you ever thought that when we say that, that what we're actually doing is we're placing ourselves above Jesus Christ? Because we serve a Lord who would get down and wash his disciples' feet. There was no task lower than that. And when we say, well, you know, I'm not going to do this or that and help in that way, I'm afraid we're placing ourselves above him, whether we realize it or not. There is no task that is above one who is a disciple of Jesus, because Jesus would do anything. And then then second, think about this. God calls us to serve one another. I think we see that here. He's saying, I want you to wash one another's feet. You know, in the New Testament, there are 59 one another commands. Those are times when the New Testament writers say things like, love one another, uh, be devoted to one another, encourage one another, correct one another, pray for one another, serve one another, forgive one another. There are 59 of these one another commands, and in our text is one of them, right? Wash one another's feet. And if you look at those commands, all of those one another commands, do you know that they kind of presume something? They presume that we know one another because we dwell together in a community of faith. I want you to think about it. I mean, this whole episode, doesn't it just emphasize togetherness and how connected we are in Christ? I don't believe that we can be a faithful disciple of Christ if we are not an active part of the body of Christ. You know, there's so many in our day and time who claim to be Christians, but they say, well, but you know, I don't want anything to do with organized religion. And I just want to go up and ask them, how are you going to do any of these things, right? There are 59 one another commands. Correct one another, pray for one another, serve one another, forgive one another, be devoted to one another, love one encourage one. I mean, how are we going to do those things if we're not together? You have to be together to perform the one another commands. And so if I say that I'm going to be this Christian and I'm just going to be apart from any church or, you know, any group of believers, then what I'm essentially doing is I'm saying there is a whole great large part of what it means to be a disciple that I'm just setting aside and ignoring and expecting God to be fine with that. God calls us to come together and to serve one another. But then here's the last thing I came up with. When we serve others, when we're serving, do you realize that we're actually partnering with Jesus Christ? You know, there is that moment when uh, Jesus gets to Peter. He's washing his disciples' feet, and he goes from one to the other to the other. And then there's that moment when he gets to Peter, and this thing just doesn't sit well with Peter. Peter looks at Jesus, and he thinks, you know, 
I should be washing his feet. He shouldn't be washing my feet. And, and so he says out loud, he says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus replies, if I do not wash you, verse 8, um, then you have no share with me. Now that's the ESV. In other translations, the King James, the New American Standard, the Christian Standard Bible, and some others, it's rendered, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And that word in the Greek is really interesting. The word part means, on the one hand, a portion or share. And so a share of what? Well, I mean, I think about, you know, kind of on one level, this is a cleansing, right? And so the beautiful cleansing of his disciples' feet prefigures the cleansing that's going to happen in Christ after Jesus sheds his blood and becomes the perfect sacrifice. And when we are baptized, guess what happens? We get in contact with the cleansing blood of Christ. And every sin we've ever done is washed away and we are made clean. And so I think on one level that that's what this is about. But do you know that that word, it can also be translated not just as portion or share, but also as fellowship, a fellowship, a working together. If I do not wash you, Peter, you have no fellowship with me. And I definitely think that one of the things that Jesus was trying to convey to them was the idea that in serving one another, they were serving him. And when they would go out serving others, he was going to be right there with him. That's just the way it works. Still works. Do you remember Matthew chapter 25, verses 37 through 40, what Jesus said? Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40, and the king will answer them, Truly I say unto you, as you did it unto one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. When we serve one another, when we serve others out in the world, we are effectively serving Christ. And as we go out to serve, he's right there with us. When we serve, we are actually partnering with Christ in a beautiful way. So as we try to take this example of Jesus washing feet, this episode, and apply it to us, we arrive now at the time of the invitation. I want to ask you something tonight. What does this account of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples mean to you? You know, maybe you're sitting there tonight and you say, a God who washes feet, Scott, I've been waiting to hear that. I need him to come into my life. It's a mess right now. I need him to come into my life and help me clean things up. Or maybe you're sitting here tonight and it's a call for you to serve others and, and grow closer to the body of Christ. Or maybe it's a reminder, as he says again in verse 16, no servant is greater than his master. We are not above doing any task in Jesus' name. You know, if you are here tonight and there is some way that we can help you with the invitation of our Lord, 
if you were here tonight and say, oh, I want to become a Christian, how wonderful would that be? For you could come forward and repent of your sins, confess Christ as your Lord, and be baptized so that you would become a child of God and have all your sins washed away. If you're here tonight, and we can help you in any way, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?